Stand by for a start. Gates crash, and they're racing in the Melbourne Cup. A pretty good line. G'day, I'm Corey Brown. Over the next eight weeks, I'm going to be chatting to some of the best trainers and jockeys in the world. They've all played a part in Australia's greatest horse race, the Melbourne Cup. That first Tuesday in November, when all eyes head to Flemington, to see all 24 horses and jockeys take on the 3,200 metres. It's been run 160 times, and last year was a first. It was run without a crowd. What a ride, what a win. I've come second twice, I've come third twice, and I've also fallen in the race. Either way, it's an absolute honour to ride in the Lexus Melbourne Cup and to stand up and listen to that national anthem. It's like competing for your country. to Blue Bet's Road to the Cup and I'm going to be really, really honest, today's guest, Mick Canan, um, I've been quite nervous the last couple of days about doing an interview with him. I know him very, very well, but um, it still gives me a little bit of, it's one that's going to mean a lot to me because he's been an idol of mine my whole career. Um, I've looked up to him. I think he's one of the world's best jockeys and yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be fun. Michael Canaan was Ireland's most successful national and international jockey for nearly 35 years. I couldn't think of anybody that competed at the level he competed at and was as dedicated and, as I say, left no stone unturned. He was, he was just a class act. Maybe. Uh, I felt like I had to walk to Australia. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't make you do that, mate. Uh, would you walk? <laughs> uh, how you been, mate? I'm great. Fantastic. How are you? Yeah, yeah really good, actually. Um, me back's as good as it's going to get until they take the apparatus out. But um, but yeah, no, life's good, mate. We become grandparents for the second time about five weeks ago. So you know, I said, do you know what to say? You love you love your kids, but you're in love with your grandkids. <laughs> oh, mate, I actually, you know what I love? I love that I can give them back. <laughs> yeah, that's the beauty. <laughs> when you're tired, and you can hand them back. Mate, firstly, how's retired life? And how did you put the fire out of the belly um, after retirement? Because I'm finding it really, really difficult. It takes it takes a while to get the horse, the saddle out of the system, let me tell you. Yeah, you listen, it, it's uh, it's like going flat out and then full stop. It's very hard to, to, to find that happy medium after, after we're used to being our hair on fire all the time. So yeah, it takes a while. But then again, once you do, you... We have fabulous memories, and we we have always got to be really grateful of where where that that great horse has taken us all. I've been out for two years now, and well, I thought I was coming back after twelve months, but that wasn't to be. But yeah, I I find it really hard sometimes, especially when these bigger races are coming around, like the Spring Carnival is just around the corner, and yeah, I'm starting to get a little bit itchy. But the saddles the saddles will remain in the cupboard, mate. Yeah, no, no, you'll get that. Don't worry. Yeah, it comes to us all. <laughs> Reality is a hard is a hard gig, <laughs> Mickey. So you've obviously retired. I know you're you're riding to breeding horses, and you've got a great gig with the Hong Kong Jockey Club um, buying horses for their for their fleet over there. Yes, yes, it's a nice. It's a, uh, it's not a full time gig. It's a nice to get your teeth into something that that I'm passionate about, and hopefully I can find a few runners. Uh, not easy, but as as we know, 
Great. And Hong Kong holds a special spot in your place. Like, I mean, I know you headed over there quite a few years back. I think it was about 92. Was it 92, your first trip over? Yeah, yes, yes. I, I had it. Uh, went there and went there and, and, and on the international, the international was very young. Um, I won the bowl and I ran second in the cup on, on, on the second international meet. Um, they asked me to come back and do a month's stint. Um, rode 13 winners in a derby and just hit the ground running and then I was asked to come back and, and I'd done six months for five years in a row and it's Hong Kong has been had been and is still a, a second home for me for a long time. Yeah, no, it's a great spot. Um, I, I, I hate touching on race fours, um, but I, I obviously watched the documentaries and stuff on you because, again, I've idolised you over the years, but you had a really bad fall at Happy Valley on the inner track. They don't have the inner track now, but you had a, you had a bad fall there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Should have got killed on it. Uh, um, yeah, I was just too cocky. Went for an inside run. Hoss wasn't as brave as me. <laughs> he shied out of it and we caught a heel. <laughs> if he was as cocky <laughs> as me, I'd have got away with it, but he wasn't. Um, yeah, and it was a hard one to get over. Hard one to get over. They're, they're, they're never easy to get over. The, the nice ones are when you you get knocked out and you don't remember them. I wasn't. <laughs> they're the hard ones. <laughs> Nicky, you started at the age of 15. Your story is very, very similar to mine. I was a little bit the same. I went to school uh, as well as road, um, but yours a little bit different. You kicked off the races. Uh, your first ride was a winner. Mine was a race fall. I was still in school. My mum wanted me to finish school. Uh, I went, and after that, when I went up for my summer break, uh, supposedly to come back uh, and, and finish school. But uh, I never came home. Um, the trainer said, you've got to give this fellow a chance. He has, he has a chance of making it. So, Nicky, who were the jockeys that you looked up to as a young child? Listen, I was only having a, I had a chat yesterday with Willie Carson. Uh, he, he's a very successful breeder. Fantastic guy. Uh, Pat Hedry. Lester was my idol as a kid. You know, they were marvellous guys. Uh, great role models. Got the learn so much from them um, you always look at guys and say oh, I could be as good as him until you get exposed to them and then you suddenly realise how much you've got to learn what about jockeys of today like I mean you've ridden with the best that I've ever seen um, the likes of Frankie uh, Olivier Pellier what's the difference between when you started and the jockeys that you compete against these sort of days what, what, can, you, can you separate them listen there's many good ones um, great ones are very few um, like Frankie's probably the best I've ridden against. Uh, the difference now, I suppose it's it's hard now with the exposure to media to stay grounded. It was much easier, I think, when I was riding. Or like Ryan is probably the closest to the old school as you're going to get. He likes to keep himself to himself. Uh, Frankie, Frankie would walk into a room, he'd know there was a hidden camera. <laughs> for, for me Mick like over the years like watching you like you were the pioneer for for me for jockeys to go sort of overseas and travel and ride How, what, what's the key to adapting like to the to the different tracks the different jockeys you know to, to that to me like that I, I thought you were a freak at it like you could go anywhere in the world whether it be on a Saturday or a, a Monday and you could just adapt to the total different styles of racing listen you've got to back yourself and be confident um Listen, a bad horse and a good jockey, same result. <laughs> Not always. Um, 
<laughs> you have to do your homework. Know your horse. Know your track. Back yourself. You gotta. You know. You can't be afraid of failure. Like if you wake up in the morning and doing what we do, and if you're afraid of failure, you just can't get out of bed. Yeah. Tell me, Mick, the Melbourne Cup. Well, that's obviously it's called Road to the Cup. The the podcast we're doing. But how how long before you actually ventured over with Vintage Crop? How how long before was it in in your minds? to travel a horse and bring it to Australia like that? We were, we were going to bring him the year previous. It was insurmountable at the time. And I was lucky enough, actually. Uh, the horse was better the year afterwards. Uh, he wasn't mature enough the year previous. And they ironed everything out. You know, Les Benton, you know, and Dermot, you know, the, the racing club, Victoria Racing Club, really worked hard, you know, to get it internationally. Uh, like back then, like even the year when he made it, uh, the horse nearly didn't make. There was fog, uh, and only the horse was an hour away from the airport. There was a window. The plane circled, didn't get in, and then just got in. And the horse made the plane the second year by a, by a whisker. Like Delma was pioneer. He was a pioneer, but he he cut his teeth as a young vet in 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 Australia, and just thought the Melbourne Cup was just the race. He wanted to win. The world has to know about the Melbourne Cup. Like we all know about it now. You know, it was it, it was groundbreaking stuff by everybody. Uh, I was just the one that was legged up on. Can you can you take us through the race from start to finish? I remember Joseph and Frankie sitting in the wear room. Like I, I was, Frankie was young, quite younger than me, but I was lucky enough that I knew quite a few in the wear room. That you know, I was in Hong Kong. I'd done a year in Hong Kong. So I knew a lot of the guys. I knew Darren and I knew Moses, Kevin, you know, a good pal of mine. And I, I knew quite a few of the guys. But Frankie sat and said, just me. He says, we're, fucking, we're a long way from home here. And there's only two of us. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember leaving the gates and my father did struggle a bit early. Ready, light, and they're off. Drum taps began well to a big roar from the crowd. Cavalieri dropped in behind them with great vintage. Silcarli began fast. Vintage crop was away smartly as arm just behind them. Drum taps. And, but I got parked up behind Frankie. And I knew, well then, I can guarantee on Frankie. I don't have to look anywhere else. And my horse struggled. You know the way you race in Oz, they, they, they touch and they, and my hate didn't like it. Yeah, they're touching and they're, you know, you're bustling. And it took him, it wasn't until we were going halfway down the stretch after we went past the winning post and we, down there we went about it. After about two furlongs down there, he suddenly went, okay, I'm happy with this. And then I was in a great rhythm. The Caulfield Cup and a Frar at the 400 the first time, working over to the rail in front of Maracas, running third as the Phantom on the outside. Just behind them is Tiakau, Nick going forward, and then Drum Taps and Vintage Crop together. Now Tristolite around them, and they're followed further back out. And I was parked behind Frankie, happy where I was going to be. And then from then on, the race just unfolded. You know, the horse was going good. And I'll never, you know, I'll never forget that I was told, don't move before the clock tower. There's this clock tower. <laughs> 300, led frontier boy, a length and a half further back, vintage crop. He's coming home, the Irish Galloper. Once I caught him loose, he just picked up. Like, he was a, he was a very, very good horse. 
Tiako, Nick, but Vintage Crop has got him. Vintage Crop, the Irish horse will win the Melbourne Cup. Vintage Crop, two links, Tiako, Nick just out second. Mercator flashed yeah, up. Yeah, he was the... a very good horse, you know, and he... Listen, it's great when a plan comes, you know, like... I had beaten drum taps at level weights at the Irish Ledger. And they made drum taps favour. <laughs> and he was giving me... I was getting weight from him. There was a there was a plain load of guys came down with me from Hong Kong. Let me tell you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The pockets were fairly full going home. <laughs> oh, mate, I, I watched the replay again the other day, and I, I it's amazing. Even between like the I would say the four hundred and the the hundred, like he, he made up oh, what seven or eight lengths in a blink of an eye. Like he was on top, you know. Like it was like he was galloping on top of the ground. I know it was sort of damp sort of ground, but he, he made it look like he was galloping on top of the ground. You know, you, you've ridden a lot of horses. Very few of them tick all the boxes. Like horses, thoroughbreds are, they're on the edge, whether it is mentally or physically. Um, and you're always trying to mine something with a great horse because he has a flaw. Most of the great ones are, flaw, are flawed or at the edges. And he, he was one of the few had none. He had pace. He was physically so sound, mentally so sound. He just had it all. The very, very seldom you come across the real package, and he had it. Now, now tell me, you talk about good horses, and I know this horse. Obviously, it was like the icing on the cake, you know, for such a great career. But see the stars, you know, like I, I've watched him over and over again. He was a freak, wasn't he? That was the one thing about him. When he went a mile and a half, they were going too slow. Like he, he, was, he was a very aggressive horse out of the gates. He was, he was flat out in five steps. You know, he could be so into each. And what happened was he hit the gates and I, I was fine. But Pat Smalling, God rest him, was riding a pacemaker, belly dials, had missed the start. And after about a half of falling, he came hustling past me. And Michael went, wanted to go. And I, I said, I, you can't go. So I took him back. And... Christoph Samillion then sort of parked the bus in, on, the, on the field and let the pacemakers off and there was no rhythm in the race. And so I got into a, a position I really didn't want to be, but, but I had to suck it up, um, which was always going to be the case from draw five in the big field in an arc. At some point, you're going to have to need a bit of luck. Um, and so there's no point worrying about that, leave at the gates. Just have to worry about it when it arrived. I was following Oliver Pellier on, on, on a three or four time coupon winner. And he, he kicked for a gap behind Samillion in the straight. And I looped him. Before he got to it, I got through. That was the, that was the horse. When I really needed it, in five strides, he was out. It looked like I was in trouble, but I wasn't. Because the horse just was able to pull me out of it. What about other horses, Mick, that you've ridden? Like, obviously, see the stars would be your best. And it was, again, the icing on the cake for you. But what about some of the other horses that you've ridden? Like, what, you've ridden the Japan Cup winner. Like, mate, you go through your list of winners. It's just, 
it's, he looked a monster. Was he a big horse? Oh, he was. But it was a, what a lovely horse to ride. Um, like he would, big, boisterous, cold, loves, loved the fight. Um, like, like, he won a Japan Cup, he shouldn't have won it. Why do you say that? What, what, why? He gave me everything. He just gave me everything on that day. Um, like, I asked him for so much, and he produced. And, and he was just one of those racing machines. Like, I won, like he won a Breeders' Cup, I didn't ride him, uh, but I, I got on him as a five-year-old, I think, an Irish champion, English champions. Didn't quite get a mile and a half, but was able to get it in, in a Japan Cup on firm ground, you know? Like, his optimum trip is a mile and a quarter. Um, but a, a, a great racehorse, great racehorse. What about some of the other good horses you've ridden? Like, I'll tell you a quick story. Um, again, like, I, I idolised you, and I remember when I was in Hong Kong, uh, as a young kid, I think I was 21 when I first went to Hong Kong and you and I, back in the day when they had class six races, which they don't have anymore, so you can imagine how slow they were, but one of my biggest thrills in my riding career, you and I skipped out uh, in a class six race, we're about five lengths in front of the rest of the field, totally different styles um, and we're going head and head and I end up beating you on the line and I ran across and said, I've, I've got you. And um, you congratulated me, but David Raphael, the race caller, the Australian guy, he quite often reminds me saying how good a moment it was. But I watched that video over and over and over again. Like I was so proud to, to be beating this Mick Canaan, like he was a superstar jockey in my eyes. And, and then a few years later, I, I went to Coolmore Stud uh, in the Hunter Valley in New South Wales. And um, I was big noting up there and this horse come out, Rocker Gibraltar and um, Column Santric. Uh, one of the guys who works for Coolmore, he, um, I was big noting about how I'd beaten Mick Canan in this tight finish. And it was just so funny because this horse, Rocker Gibraltar, and your daughter was actually strapping the horse. It was just so weird how I was big noting about beating you and your daughter was standing there like with a smirk on her face laughing because it was her father that I was talking about. <laughs> I want to ask you, you've ridden for obviously the best all over the world. Um, I'm not going to ask you who would be the best trainer because I know when I've been asked the question, you know, it's, it's hard to sort of single them out because they're all different in so many different ways. But who would, what, what would have been your biggest spray off a trainer after a bad ride? Well, they can all spray. <laughs> <laughs> they can all give you a fucking spray, let me tell you. Because the reality was we all want to win and they want to win. Yeah, well, that's right. Yeah, I, I always found it if you beat them to the punch, it wasn't, as, wasn't quite as bad. I, I know I used to come in with Lee Freeman, which you would know. And when I rode for him for a couple of years, I'd come in and if I knew I'd ridden a bad race, I'd jump in before he actually gave me the spray. And there was one day I come back and I went to jump in and tell him that I'd done something and why I'd done it. And he said, no, no, no. He said, it's about time you shut up and listen to what I've got to say. And he'd give me a nice old dressing down. So, yeah, no, I know what they're like, so. Now tell me, Mickey, you were offered, I would say it would be every his dream job um, to ride for for Godolphin. And um, you decided to to turn it down and stay at home and ride for Dermot. Was were you were you happy with the decision and did did it ever cross your mind like that you made the wrong decision? No. So I ended up I ended up getting a retainer from them the following year for three years in a row. They didn't know what they wanted. Like um, at the time, they had, for my pound for pound, Steve Cott was the best jock in the world. Um, why did they not want him? Um, 
they they wanted change and I, they didn't know where they were what change they wanted um, and it was going to be a huge life change for me to go to move to England did I want to I didn't think they wanted me enough at the time I, I, I thought I was going to take it and no no I, I just loved live where I, I want to bring my kids up in Ireland uh, love living at home so no no regrets well mate I'm going to say mate it's been an absolute pleasure thank you very very much for your time um, and again mate you're one of the world's best champion my pleasure Good. See you soon. Thanks, mate.